Welcome to Music History Monday for May 23rd, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Beethoven and the Human Voice. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the premiere on May 23rd, 1814, 208 years ago today, of Ludwig van Beethoven's one and only opera, Fidelio, at the Kartnertor Theater in Vienna. While Beethoven, 1770 to 1827, had composed two preliminary versions of the opera, which had been performed in 1805 and 1806, it is this third and substantially different version that we will hear in the opera house today. A Beethovenian red herring. It's an odd, but in this case, an applicable idiom, red herring. Literally, a red herring is, believe it or not, a red herring, a dried and smoked herring that's turned red due to being smoked. However, for our purposes, a red herring is something that misleads or distracts from a relevant or important question. It may be either a logical fallacy or a literary device that leads readers or audiences towards a false conclusion. The Beethovenian red herring to which we are referring started with the German author, legal scholar, composer, music critic, and artist Ernst Theodor Amadeus, or E.T.A. Hoffmann, 1776-1822. Hoffmann wrote a lengthy and frankly worshipful appreciation of Beethoven's instrumental music entitled Beethoven's Instrumental Music in 1813, when Beethoven was in his 43rd year. In the course of his essay, Hoffman wrote this, quote, Beethoven's instrumental music wields the lever of fear, awe, horror, and pain, and it awakens that eternal longing that is the essence of the romantic. If he has had less success with vocal music, this is because vocal music excludes the character of indefinite longing and instead represents the emotions as described by words." Unquote. Hoffman's implication that Beethoven was inherently less successful as a composer of vocal music than of instrumental music ran like an open carbuncle through the Beethoven literature of the 19th century. By the 20th century, it had become an article of faith among many musicians who should have known better that Beethoven couldn't write properly for the voice because he could not compose vocal-styled or so-called lyric melodies. For example, at a Paris dinner party in 1922, Marcel Proust attempted to pay the 40-year-old Igor Stravinsky, who'd been living in Paris since 1920, a compliment by comparing him to Beethoven. This is how their conversation is recorded to have gone. 
Doubtless you admire Beethoven, Proust adds. I detest Beethoven. But, but share, surely those late sonatas and quartets? Worse than the others. Unquote. Oh, it was a witty and devastating rejoinder on Stravinsky's part, worse than the others. A rejoinder that displayed a verbal skill that the French have historically valued above all others. That skill? A facility for the clever put-down, what has been called the Gallic fine art of the exquisitely outrageous insult. A facility that for hundreds of years had been a necessary prerequisite for establishing one's intellectual credentials in the salons of Paris. The question we must ask is, did Stravinsky really feel that way about Beethoven, or was he just behaving in a manner French? Well, apparently, yes. In 1922, Stravinsky really did feel that way about Beethoven and his music, for reasons he explained 14 years later in his autobiography. Writing in 1936, the now 54-year-old Stravinsky described how, when he was young, he and his fellow Russian music students were smothered by all the attention and worship paid to Beethoven's works, as well as by, to quote Stravinsky, quote, Beethoven's famous Weltschmerz, which was forced upon us at the same time. I was disgusted by this intellectual and sentimental attitude. It alienated me from Beethoven for many years." Unquote. Stravinsky's alienation from Beethoven ended in 1924, just two years after the conversation with Proust previously recounted. 1924 was the year that in preparing to compose a piano sonata, Stravinsky studied a number of Beethoven's piano sonatas and in the process got his Beethoven religion. In his autobiography of 1936, Stravinsky wrote, quote, It is time to protect Beethoven from the stupidity and drivel of fools who think it up to date to giggle as they amuse themselves by running him down, unquote. Yeah, to which Stravinsky should have added something that I myself have been indefensibly guilty of. Nevertheless, Stravinsky's rapprochement with Beethoven's music did not extend to a respect for Beethoven as a writer of lyric melody and therefore as a composer of vocal music. Oh, on the contrary. This is what Stravinsky said of Beethoven the melodist in his Norton Lectures, delivered at Harvard during the 1939-1940 academic year. Quote, the capacity for melody is a gift. This means that it is not within our power to develop it by study. The example of Beethoven would suffice to convince us that, of all the elements of music, melody is the most accessible to the ear and the least capable of acquisition. Here we have one of the greatest creators of music who spent his whole life attempting to compensate for this gift he lacked." Unquote. This trope, this Beethovenian red herring, has continued right into the 21st century, that Beethoven lacked the lyric gift, the ability to compose vocally inspired melodies. 
despite seemingly countless examples to the contrary, like, for instance, the second movement of his piano sonata, Opus 13 in C minor, a link to which is provided, like Fur Elise, and like the Ode to Joy theme from his Ninth Symphony, and even that freaking minuet in G, da 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 despite seemingly countless instances to the contrary, Beethoven's melodic gift, and with it his vocal music, continue to be disparaged as being second-rate. Beethoven, opera, and Fidelio. Which brings us, then, to Beethoven's one and only opera, Fidelio. Ten years in the making, Fidelio is incredibly, inexplicably, often offered as evidence of Beethoven's inability to write for the voice, that having checked opera off his compositional genre list, he had no intention of ever writing another. But that's simply not true. Beethoven had no intention of being a one-opera composer and spent the remainder of his life looking for suitable libretti. Writes Stanford professor Paul Robinson, quote, Yet his inability to find one, meaning another libretto, seems both right and inevitable. Fidelio's true successors are the Missa Solemnis, the Solemn Mass, and the Ninth Symphony, unquote. I would argue that Fidelio remained Beethoven's one and only opera for two reasons, one having to do with the nature of opera in Beethoven's time, and the other having to do with Beethoven's compositional aesthetic. In Beethoven's day, as in ours, few artistic undertakings were more expensive than producing a new opera. The only way to make an opera a financial success was to put derrieres in seats, a lot of derrieres in a lot of seats. That meant rendering unto opera the conventions of opera, traditional storytelling aided and abetted by arias, recitatives, and ensembles in a fairly predictable manner. Unlike the piano sonata or the string quartet or even the symphony, opera in Beethoven's day was not a genre of music composition that gave itself to experimentation. Too much money was at stake and audience expectations were too high. Now, you don't need me to tell you that Ludwig van was an unconventional person and composer and became more so as he grew older. Post-1814, meaning after the premiere of Fidelio, I would suggest the mature Beethoven was, in fact, no more willing to submit to the operatic conventions as they existed at his time than the mature Jackson Pollock would have been willing to paint pretty landscapes a la Bob Ross. Secondly, there's Beethoven's compositional aesthetic, which is what E.T.A. Hoffman and Igor Stravinsky incorrectly identified as Beethoven's inability to write lyric melodies. As already observed, Beethoven could write lyric melodies till the cows came home. But generally speaking, he wasn't particularly interested in writing music in which memorable lyric melodies, complete musical personalities unto themselves, were stated, restated, and restated again over the course of a movement.
Rather, Beethoven was more interested in writing music that was in a constant process of becoming, in which simple, sometimes even banal melodic ideas, I mean, think the opening four notes of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, only became complete musical entities over the course of a movement through the processes of variation and development. From mid-career on, Beethoven's works were, far more often than not, organic, always growing, changing, developing. This is a compositional mindset and aesthetic, easily adapted to instrumental music, but antithetical with music for the voice, in which the music must follow the contours and expressive content of the words being set, rather than the abstract compositional notions of variation and development. You know, E.T.A. Hoffman got close to understanding this when he wrote, quote, if he, Beethoven, has had less success with vocal music, this is because vocal music excludes the character of indefinite longing and instead represents the emotions as described by words, unquote. Where Hoffman got it wrong was that Beethoven did not shy away from writing vocal music because he had had less success with it, but rather because his compositional proclivities lay elsewhere. But had he chosen to write songs and concert arias, and had he chosen to submit to the conventions of contemporary opera, I personally have little doubt that he would have experienced great success as a writer for voice. When we return in tomorrow's Dots of Fidelio. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.